I guess I didn't see it coming, but I'm far more emotional today than I thought it would be. Uh, the countdown is getting real. Getting very real right now. Um, next week we will uh, be with you for the last time. Uh, and I'm going to share quite a heartfelt message next week. Um, so I've only got one box of tissues here, so you might want to bring some extras. We'll need some reinforcements probably. But we continue to journey through Acts. We're at the end of chapter 19 into a fascinating section. It's, it gets crazy. It gets chaotic here at the end of chapter 19. And uh, before I read that, I want to um, uh, mention, a, a, I've probably mentioned this before. I've mentioned everything before, I'm sure. Uh, but uh, not just preaching, but my illustrations and my stories, you know them all. But uh, I love the story about the enigma, the deciphering, the ciphering and deciphering uh, machine uh, that uh, was invented, I believe, by the Germans, by a particular uh, man, by, at the end of World War I, and was initially used uh, for commercial purposes to keep uh, the competition unaware of what they were saying. Uh, it came into its own in a big way in the Second World War, and... Um, and there was obviously a massive effort, the historians amongst us will tell you more of the amazing details, to try and find out how the Germans were uh, keeping things so secret and how they couldn't decipher the messages and eventually I think they were able to capture one of these Enigma machines and it had a massive effect on the outcome of the war. So it was a machine that ciphered and deciphered. So it put things into code and and then it would you'd send a message to another to another group, uh, soldiers somewhere, uh, and uh, it would decipher that message. So you get it, cipher and decipher. That cipher is a real word. Decipher is a real word. And in between, the the sender, the transmitter, and the receiver, it was completely incoherent jumble to anybody who wasn't able to understand it. And it seems to me that for, for much of the world and, and for a large portion of the church, a lot of what's going on around us hasn't been deciphered. The Word of God is that machine, okay, that deciphers the message, the movements, the happenings, the moods, the, the, the temperature, if you like, of society. And unless we are learning how to use God's word, and I'm not trying to belittle it by calling it a machine, I'm just using this by way of analogy. Unless we learn how to use God's word, we will be sitting ducks and we will be <laughs> taken out uh, of, the, of the battle, the ministry that God has called us to, and we will we will live lives that are ineffective. And that's probably one of the things that really uh, troubles me. I don't like word, using words loosely, and I don't like uh, exaggerating, but it does trouble me. Because so much of the world, as um, Keith Green once said, is asleep in the light. 
and we get quite upset when somebody tries to wake us up, actually. Um, and, 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 but if, we're not, if we don't wake up, we're not going to be effective in the kingdom. We're not going to be the salt and light that God's called us to be. So there's a lot of deciphering that we need to do. And I, I'm a, as the Lord enables, I want to use this passage, Acts 19, pardon me, 23 to 41, as we learn from the context, from the word, from the events that happened in the city of Ephesus. By the way, the picture there, the, that's amazing. Thank you, Lee Helling. By the way, thank you, Lee Helling, for years and years of faithful ministry behind the scenes, presenting, preparing my PowerPoint presentations. I don't do any of that stuff. Lee has done it for yonks. Um, thank you, Lee. Where are you? Where is he? Where is he? Probably traveling. Uh, he's probably out of town. He always, he's always on ministry. So he'll hear this, he'll see this. Thank you, Lee. Um, but that is the picture of the theater in Ephesus where these events took place. And it's so cool to tell you that I've been there. I was sitting in there, I stood in there, I moved around there. I'm only telling you this as I leave because I didn't want to use it against me before, but at the, at the corner, if it makes sense, at the corner, you see that paving that's kind of there in the center? That was the, the theater floor. Around that, where you get those sort of fingers stretching out, the two you can see there. I don't have an infrared pointer. I didn't. Um, that is the edge obviously, and then the seats are coming up this way. So what we see in, the, in the, our foreground is actually the, we're looking from the top down. On the, other, on the other side of there, you might see something that looks a bit like a podium, and then there's a dark shadow, which is a, it's, a, it's an exit kind of place. The speaker would come through from there, and right there is a podium, and that podium is quite fascinating. Um, what they would use uh, is a stone, but what they had, this was how... That's why I haven't told you before. This is how they made sure nobody went over time when they presented their speeches. Because this is, this is where the city council would meet. This is where they do all this stuff. Okay? They had a very clever, these, these, the, the Greco-Romans, the Greeks first of the Romans, they were, they were amazing engineers and builders. On the top of that podium, there was a, a, a recessed hollow. So you've got the edge, and it's a round, hollow, like a shallow basin. And what they would do is when the speaker started, they would fill that basin with water. But there was a little hole at the bottom. So it was a timing device. And when the water ran out, you had to stop talking. That's why I've never told you this before. Okay? But it's just very cool to see how organized, how orderly, how efficient... Uh, you know, because we don't know that kind of thing, how government operated in the Roman Empire. Um, and you will see some of that order and awareness of law and jurisprudence coming through uh, in this passage. So let's get to it, shall we? Acts 19, 23 to 41. About that time, so we've mar uh, Dr. Luke, the historian, is recording these events. We, last week we were looking at the passage above, and he says, about that time there arose in Ephesus, he's in Ephesus, a disturbance, a great disturbance about the way. Remember, 
the way is the way that Christianity was termed in the first century. Okay? They were people of the way because Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. So they were called the people of the way. They weren't called Christians until um, at Antioch first, but then it only really caught, caught on later. And don't forget, too, that the, the cross was not the symbol of Christianity in the first century. That was a symbol of torture and death and violence. It was the fish. They would roll in the sand, just that very simple and the head of the fish, it was a secret sign, the head of the fish would be pointing in the direction where the meeting was taking place on that given Sunday because of persecution, they had to move around. So, a great disturbance arose about the way. A silversmith named Demetrius, who made, okay, we're talking about deciphering deception, who made silver shrines of Artemis, get to that little bit of details now, brought in no little business for the craftsmen. There was a guild of silversmiths and other kinds of craftsmen. You would make statues of the goddess Artemis out of silver or clay, usually. Um, clay was obviously the cheaper option. Brought in no little business for the craftsmen. He called them together along with the workmen in related trades and said, Men, you know we receive a good income from this business. Kind of gives himself away right off the bat. And you see in here how this fellow Paul, and fellow is a, is a bit of a, he's getting dissed, okay? Paul's getting dissed. It's not a nice word. You see in here how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus and pr practically the whole province of Asia. He says, can you believe it? He says that man-made gods are no gods at all. I mean, his statement, like, you know, states the obvious, man-made. Are no gods at all. That there's danger, not only that our trade will lose its good name, you know, we're going to go broke, we'll go out of business. There's danger not only that our trade will lose its good name, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited. And the goddess herself, you see, always have to protect false gods. They can't do it themselves. The great goddess, she's unable to defend herself. She's so great. Will be discredited, and the goddess herself who has worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world will be robbed of her divine majesty. If she had divine majesty, how would people rob her of that? I mean, seriously. When they heard this, they, they were furious and began shouting. Please note this. When they heard this, they were furious and began shouting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! Soon the whole city was in an uproar. The people seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Paul's traveling companions. Now they're just along helping Paul, but they got grabbed, guilty by association, from Macedonia and rushed as one man into the theater. Now that you see in front of you. 
Paul wanted to appear before the crowd, but the disciples would not let him. There's a, there's a, a riot is brewing, and Paul wants to preach. But that's Paul, eh? The disciples not let, let him. Even some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul. So he had friends in high places in Ephesus. They were called Asiarchs. They were rulers in, pardon me, governors in Ephesus and in Asia. Even some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul, sent him a message begging him not to venture into the theater. The assembly was in confusion. Apparently, this theater, you can see it extends up there, it goes all, it can seat about 20,000 people. The assembly was in confusion. Some were shouting one thing, some another. That's, it's a mob, okay? You, you're familiar with this idea? You've never seen this before? You're looking a bit confused at this point? Just watch the news any day of the week. Take a walk. The semi wasn't confusion. Some were shouting one thing, some another. Most of the people, I love Luke's commentary here, and it's a bit of a humorous jab. It's a bit of a um, satire here. Most of the people, and this is so true of mobs, most of the people did not even know why they were there. Somebody said, if you come here on this day and make a noise, you'll get a t-shirt and you'll get a cap. <laughs> but they didn't know why they were there. They didn't even know why they were there. The Jews pushed Alexander to the front. So you got Gentiles, Greeks of Ephesus. You got the Jewish community, community in Ephesus, and they pushed Alexander to the front, and some of the crowd shouted instructions to him. <laughs> it's chaos, man. He motioned for silence in order to make a defense before the people. Because they wanted to make sure, actually, Alexander and other Jews wanted to make sure that the city of Ephesus and these mad crowd didn't associate the Jewish community with these crazy people of the way. They're not, they're not part of us. But when they realized he was a Jew, they all shouted in unison for about two hours. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians for two hours. The city clerk quieted the crowd and said, we don't know his name, but God used this man. Men of Ephesus. He turns the argument of Demetrius, uses the same argument, but turns it around. Men of Ephesus, doesn't all the world know that the city of Ephesus is the garden of the temple of the great Artemis and of her image, which fell from heaven? Doesn't the whole world know? This idol fell from heaven. It was actually... A meteorite. That happens. Hopefully nowhere near me at any time. So doesn't anybody know this? This goddess, this, her image fell from heaven. Therefore, with 36, since these facts are undeniable, absolutely hogwash, but you ought to be quiet and not do anything rash. Don't do anything crazy. Don't do anything you'll regret. You have brought these men here, though they have neither robbed temples nor blasphemed our goddess. So the charge against Paul was false. He was preaching Jesus. 
But here's the thing, and I'm sorry I'm interrupting, but I can't, I've got to put in some of this, these bits. When you preach Jesus, people are going to realize you are not supporting their view. They connect dots, and they get twitchy about that. You brought these men here, though they have neither robbed temples nor blasphemed our goddess. If then Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a grievance against anybody, the courts are open. And there are proconsuls. Just by the way, Luke mentions proconsuls long before anybody in the, in the modern world knew there was such an office in Roman government, Roman society. Archaeology has subsequently dug up documents and stones and inscriptions to that effect. The courts are up and there are proconsuls, kind of attorneys, legal people. A bit of a broad, broad term for a few things. They can press charges. If there's anything further you want to bring up, it must be settled in legal assembly. In other words, not in a riot. As it is, we are in danger of being charged with rioting because of today's events. Who would charge the city of Ephesus with rioting because of today's events? The Roman government. Now they're just, bundled, by the way, Roman cities, Ephesus, all the churches in the Revelation, this, remember this is one of them, they were normally about 11, 15 kilometers sort of apart so that soldiers from the various cities could hoof it on foot to get to the city where there's a riot. And they would, they would put down that insurrection with slaughter. So the threat was, you know, the peace of Rome was not peace at all. It's be reasonable, do it my way, or you die. As it is, we are in danger of being charged with rioting, which was a, it's like treason in the Roman world because of today's events. In that case, we would not be able to account for this commotion since there is no reason for it. After he said this, he dismissed the assembly. Took all the heat out of the thing. But again, as I said, there are, there are things for us to note in this passage, applications from these historical events and apply them to our lives and to our situation and to the world in which we live. First one, verses 23 to 27. Learn about the lie of the land. Okay, so there's a bit of a play on the idea. The, to know the lie of the land is to know what's going on. What's going on in my community? What's going on in my society? What are the big issues? What are the big crises? What are the fears? What are the hopes? But it's a lie, isn't it? Because it's not the truth of God and his word. But, so don't take it as truth. Don't regurgitate and parrot. You know, I was speaking to the other day, they again said, oh, the universe, the universe, you know. So many people talk where the universe speaks to them. Right? You know, if, if, if that was the case, I wouldn't tell anybody if the universe was speaking to me. You know, you'd end up in those rooms with a very thick wallpaper. It's not something you should want to tell people. But some, these are just mantras that people talk about. Perish a thought we might believe in a personal God, but the universe. By the way, don't forget, Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. 
If you think the universe is speaking to you and it's not declaring the glory of God, don't listen. Learn about the lie of the land. Know your opposition. Know your environment. When we witness to people, when we live with people, when we serve with people, do we know anything about them or do we see them as the enemy or as some target that we've got to get saved or change? Or do we see them as, just avoid them, stay away? How much do we know about the lie of the land in which we live? What's going on? What are people thinking about, talking about? We can't get inside their heads, but just watch what people do. That's what they're thinking about. And as I said, they're accusing Paul. Uh, It's a city that is soaked in idolatry and immorality. Remember last week I told you about the brothel right over the road from the library. And there were actually road signs that are still there in the stone so you didn't get lost on the way to the brothel. Yeah, we we get that today. Um, So that's the stuff that was going on. And, and, And they realized that this guy Paul and the message he's preaching without attacking, and this is a very important point, don't pray against people and stuff. I don't see a biblical precedent for that. Pray for people. Pray that they'll see the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But people, if we think against, we're going we're gonna to fall into this lie that people are the enemy. They're not the enemy. We have one enemy, Jesus says. His name is Satan. Father of lies. So when people start to connect dots, when we share Jesus, they start to realize that what we're saying by promoting Jesus, not attacking them, is we're undermining their whole value system. We're undermining their whole belief system. And that really cramps their flow. People get twitchy. People really do. I've seen it over and over again. I don't attack people. I don't try not to criticize people. I want to serve people. But when you talk about Jesus, you talk about the word, and you're not acknowledging, and you're not affirming their lies, they get twitchy. And they cramp their flow. We cramp their flow. (laughs) It's a crazy little thing, just incidentally. Marking an exam paper, a bunch of exam papers. Um, It's a painful process, all you teachers know. And this this dear young lady who loved Jesus, tremendously, but was tremendously ignorant of the subject. Um, there were pictures and flowers, and, but no content, no essay. You know? uh, and she even admitted that. She said, I don't know if this makes sense, but I'm in the flow. Uh, she put that in, would you put that in exam paper? Uh, I cramped her flow with the... Uh, with the result, with the mark I gave her. Um, but people get really twitchy. And, and what we see here, talking about the lie of the land, is that religion and, and I've got a religion and spirituality, which is, there's, a, there's another lie. There's not, people tell me, I'm not religious, but I'm very spiritual. That's a lie. They're not different things. They're not different things. In the true sense of the word. Religion is often a cover for fraud. And what we see here, that they're using the religion, this false religion of worshiping this goddess Artemis, 
as a cover that Artemis is being attacked, but what they're really worried is their back pocket, their bottom line. A lot of fraud, a lot of embezzlement, a lot of sin happens under the name of religion. And I've just said religion, spirit. Um, there's man-made religion, and there's what's biblical religion? James tells us true religion. I think it's James one twenty-seven. True religion is caring for widows and orphans. So when people say to me, I'm not into religion, I say, oh, you don't care about old ladies and babies? Well, that's what religion is, caring for widows and orphans. But, you know, we've got down the road here, we've got Scientology. What a crock, man. They will rob you blind. Uh, we've, got, we've got Islam everywhere. Mosque popping up all over the place. But it's really helpful... You can pray for them. You know where they are. Just lob a prayer grenade. Every time you go by. Whether you're walking, running, driving. Uh, the prosperity gospel, which is not a gospel at all, which is very popular in Africa, which is such rabid exploitation, it's, it's just unbelievable. It's fraud. And some people are unhappy to get a bit grumpy that I always attack Islam. It's the, it's the biggest lie in the world with the most followers. So obviously I'm going to talk about Hinduism is another big lie. And, and, and the fascinating thing about Hinduism, the whole thing about Hinduism and the caste system is to support the number one people in the caste, the Brahmins, who are the, the priests of the gods and goddesses. And, that whole caste system, this pyramid, right down to the, what do they call them, the Dalit, the untouchables, is, it's there to support these snobs at the top. It's not a religion. It's a lie. Learn about the lie of the land. Do I know anything about Hinduism, Mormonism, JWs? Uh, Islam, Buddhism, uh, New Age. Uh, and there's more religions, than my, my dad would say, there's more religion that you, than you can shake a stick at these days. Do we know about them? Don't have to know a lot, or you know, in great detail, but know the, know the outline, know the premises, know the foundations. Getting back to the context... Demetrius was the leader of this guild, and they were beginning to lose patrons. They were losing business. They were losing income because, praise God, so many people in Ephesus and Asia were turning to Christ. So they were actually feeling it where it hurts. And the whole myth about Artemis, and this is a family program, so I can't show you a statue of Artemis, um, but you can go online and see it. She's grotesque. She's a symbol of fertility promiscuity, of immorality. Um, and there's various iterations of her statue. Um, she, got, she started to look pretty, pretty good at the end, you know, but early days she looked pretty bad. But these are just all idols, they're just statues. What, why are people so, so when we're sharing what's the application, when, people, when I'm sharing the gospel with people and they get to that point in the conversation, where they get really like edgy, aggressive, you can see them checking out. Why are they doing that? We need to be 
engage with the Holy Spirit and with the person. Where are they and why are they doing what they're doing? But again, Artemis was the statue, the goddess. A meteorite had fallen and somebody said, you know when you look at the clouds, you can see any shape you want because you kind of, you know, looks like a horsey and moo cow and fishy, but it's just a cloud. It's not. But if you want to see something, you'll see it. So they turned this meteorite into the first idol that fell from heaven and they start worshiping and this cult just grew and grew. As a matter of fact, it was so prominent that there were 33 centers of worship to the goddess Artemis in the Mediterranean world. They had heard Paul. They didn't have, they didn't have you know, social media, but they had a very sophisticated uh, highway you know, of information. And they had heard about Paul in Athens preaching against idolatry. They had heard about Paul in Corinth preaching about idolatry. And, and so they're getting very, 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 very twitchy, which it reminds me, talking about fraud and embezzlement and exploitation. The Passover in Jerusalem at the temple was uh, that weekend was, was big business for the chief priest. Made a killing by exploiting people who came sincerely to worship. There was a lot of pillaging that happened at the Passover. And there's unfortunately a lot of pillaging happening in and through some churches. That's, by the way, where we're so upfront about our finances. And I tell you, if you're a visitor, don't worry about the bag. We're not trying to get your money. Here, here's my fundamental belief on this. If God gets your heart, he'll get your wallet as well. That's not my job. That's God's job. We don't preach a sermon before the offering. If God gets our hearts, he gets all of us, and he gets our money as well. Maybe, though, that's your idol. Maybe that's your Artemis. That's between you and Jesus. So learn about the lie of the land. Another thing when we're deciphering deception, and this is very prominent uh, in engaging with Muslims, if you go online, they've got a slogan. We'll get to this now. But there's a slogan here in verses 28 to 34. Greatest Artemis of the Ephesians. What did they do? They chanted that for two hours. Were they wanting to engage in a, you know, a debate, dialogue. No, they, they defaulted to this brainwashed slogan that they had been raised with greatest Artemis of the Ephesians. Slogans, when you're dealing with deception, note this, slogans replace substance. Slogans replace substance. I find it very interesting advertising these days. I've never been in advertising, but I've always been fascinated by it. My dad was in the world of marketing and sales for much of his life. So I learned things from my dad. Learned a lot of things from my dad. But the slogans on billboards these days, these insurance companies and their slogans really get my zig. Really get my zig. Bad advertising and bad grammar. I just... Slogans replace substance. 
political parties put up their, their, their boards. It's a slogan. There's no substance to it. Are they going to suddenly do something different now? Really? I remember when I was growing up, um, did part of my growing up in the 70s. Yeah, it's a, I know it's a long time ago, but don't obsess with that. But there was a big slogan going around in the 70s in the States, from Adam's, Adam's rib to woman's lip. It was feminism. It was, it was this big anti-chauvinist. And I'm not for a chauvinism. I'm not for, I'm just saying there was this, from Adam's rib to woman. We've emancipated ourselves from this bondage. Um, fascinating with your bit of historical hindsight. Uh, here's a slogan we get a lot these days from the river to the sea. There's no substance to that slogan because the whole thing is an absolute lie. The whole doctrine is a lie with no historical foundation. It's a slogan, but it gets into people's subconscious and, and, and it's brainwashed. You say it over and over and over and over again. You see the advert for that insurance, for that car. You know, when, when they sell us, try to sell us cars these days, they don't tell us anything about the car. Have you noticed that? You should be very suspicious. It's about the image, the lifestyle. Because that's what we're worried about. The reliability, you know, no, you know, that's not a big deal. But the image that it portrays. I mean, who knew that drinking Fanta could give you such an amazing life? You know? <laughs> you know, it's just crazy. Slogans, slogans, slogans. The big slogan of the day is Allah u Akbar. Allah is great. It's, it's the same, by the way, as great as Artemis of the Ephesians. It's as empty and vain as that statement, that slogan. There is no Allah. So he can't be great. Here's a little tidbit for you, by the way. If a foundational belief in Islam is that the Bible, the Torah, and the Gospels are true. Muhammad, who is a mythical figure, not a historical figure, but legend says that he actually, in a dispute with other Muslims, he, he said, bring the Torah, and he, they put it on the cushion that he sat on, the cushion of judgment, and said, let the Torah judge this. So the Quran actually says that the, the, the Torah, the books of the law, and the Injil, the gospel, is true. So when, when a Muslim will say to you that the Bible's full of corruption, that's a slogan, too, because they can't ever show you where it's full of corruption. And they have a big problem, because if the Bible is true, the Quran is false. Because it's a completely different... But if the Bible is false, the Quran's also false, because the Quran says the Bible is true. Slogan, 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 slogan. So, you know... He's not great. He doesn't even hear you. He's not there. Which reminds me of Elijah and the prophets of Baal. Go read the story in 1 Kings 18. 
fascinating. So the people of God have been disobedient, idolatrous, worshipping Baal. And God through Elijah calls them to Mount Carmel and have this high noon showdown. And they set up two altars and the prophets of Baal go first and they call to Baal. So the, 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 the deal was set up your altar, put a bull on there, everything, and call Baal to send fire from heaven and to consume the altar. And if that happens with you, Baal is the true God. Elijah said, I'll do that after you and I'll call up the God of the universe. And if heaven, fire falls from heaven, he's the true God. So the prophets of Baal shout and rant and rave and shout slogans for hours. Right until the afternoon, the time, which is very poignant, very pertinent, the time of the evening sacrifice that hadn't been observed for a long time. And they're cutting themselves. And Elijah taunts him. There's a place to taunt false gods and false faith. There's a place for it within Christianity. He says, maybe your God's asleep. He can't hear you. Or maybe he's on the toilet. He says that. Nothing happens. They're exhausted, bleeding. And then in a time of drought, they've been drought for three years. They set up the altar, rebuild the broken altar of God, put the bull on top, and then Elijah says, bring water. Bring water. It's drought. There's not a... Water's very rare. They dumped thousands of liters. Okay, hundreds of liters. Lots of water on this altar. So now this thing ain't going to burn really well, is it? And Elijah kneels and prays to the God of the universe, the God of the Bible, the God of truth, and <laughs> fire falls from heaven, consumes the altar, the water, Alice. Does God ever have to do that again? No. Done it once, don't have to do it again. Just read the Bible. And what did they do on that day? They killed the prophets of Baal. I'm not saying go kill anybody. <laughs> Sometimes we feel like it, but don't go do it. There's no substance to these slogans. Decipher the deception. Don't, no, it doesn't matter how long you've heard something. We've got old wives' tales, slogans from our childhood, things our parents would say. Some of it's very true, some of it wasn't true. Cut through all of that. Decipher deception on every level of your life and use God's word, nothing else, but God's word to do it. Last point, I know we're in injury time, but I don't care. Last point, and this is this place for this. These things, these truths we use together, sometimes use one. A cool head calms a crazy crowd. There's a biblical way of saying that a kind answer turns away wrath. I've seen it many times in situations where people are either mad at me or mad about something and they want to rant and rave. You just say a little arrow prayer, Lord help me. It's just one of those arrow prayers. Lord help me. Now. And address them calmly. 
more often than not, they'll eventually calm down. Because it's no fun fighting when the other person doesn't want to fight. You know, it's just no fun. And this is the city clerk in, from verse 35 to 41. The clerk quieted the crowd and said, Men of Ephesus, doesn't all the world know that the city of Ephesus is the God? He's not, she's speaking. He goes through this whole spiel, uses the same argument as Demetrius, but just turns it on its head. Very wise. God here is using a, an unbeliever. God does that all the time, by the way. What's the net result of that? He tells them, you're breaking the law, we're all going to get clapped. After he said this, he dismissed the assembly. There's precedent here in Acts, book of Acts chapter 5, Gamaliel, with the Sanhedrin. He calms them down. They wanted to slaughter and kill the disciples. He calmed them down. Here's a city clerk doing the same thing. You know what I love about this? This is my father's world, as the great old hymn says. She's in charge, nobody else. Don't believe the lie that somebody else is in charge. They're not. God used the pagan king in Persia, Cyrus, to release his people from exile and send them back to Jerusalem. And God calls Cyrus my servant. Was he a believer? No. He's just one of God's pawns. Kim Jong-un in North Korea is a pawn in the hand of God. Why God chooses to do this at this time to his people, you and I don't understand. It's way above our pay grade. But he's not in charge of anything. Where are, where's Rome? There the remains. It's just ruins. Where's Hitler? I think he's in a very warm place. But he's come and gone. So whether they're villains or our heroes, they're gone. But God rules forever. He's still on the throne. He's in charge, and he's doing his thing for his glory and for our guilt. Fascinating fact, another little fun fact. If it weren't for Paul and his faithful gospel, preaching and witness and sacrifice and suffering and eventual death for the gospel. We wouldn't even know about a guy called Demetrius, would we? Because he, he would be in the dust of history. But it's written in the Bible to show us the triumph of God in his gospel through his servants, and so we learn about this nut job. And that's why we know about him. It's not how he'd want to be known, but that's also out of our hands. The church still stands, the church universal and Northcliffe Union Church still stands and will continue to stand because it belongs to Jesus. There is no other reason. No other reason at all. So, okay, wrapping it up. Are we able... Question, are we able to decipher deception? Somebody said, 
very rightly that the only power that Satan has is the power of the lie. When he gets us to believe his lies, he's got us. But Jesus, who is the truth, I hear this quoted all the time and people don't even know it's the very words of Jesus. If you, the, full, the verse says, if you know me, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Are you being set free by the truth? His name is Jesus. And if you are, you and I will be, become better and better at deciphering deception because it's our job to call people from darkness into his marvelous light. That's our mandate for each and every one of us. The Holy Spirit, getting back to the, the enigma, that deciphering, the Holy Spirit is our spiritual enigma. He deciphers. But don't forget that God's word and God's spirit always work in unison. Always. Word and spirit, word and spirit. If somebody comes and tells you, God told me something, check it out in the word. Just because God, somebody says God told me doesn't mean squat unless you can find substantiation for it in the word. So let's come to prayer. Let's come with, let's come to God this morning. And we've done it before, but it's always good. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to shine the spotlight of his holiness into our hearts and expose deception. met somebody just the other day dealing with so much deep pain so much deep a deep deep wound because of stuff that happened in their childhood that's true for many of us what lies are you believing about yourself about your identity your value or lack of value your, your potential your possibilities You heard these things. A teacher or a parent said something over and over again or did something over and over again. Actions speak louder than words. And you took that on board and you believe it about yourself. And it could be that, with some other things, but we've got to start somewhere. It could be that that's holding you back from discovering all that God's created you to be as his saint, his child, member of his church, his bride. That lie is still holding you back. Today is the day when you confront that lie with the truth of God's word. And you reject that slogan. You're no good. You always mess up. Why can't you be like your brother, your sister? These are slogans. There's no substance. But we've heard them so many times we believe them. And we don't have to rant. We don't have to rave. If you need to go, 
vent some anger in some way that's not going to hurt you or somebody else, find that way. But more often than not, it's going to be a calm head that brings order. And God has given us renewed minds. He's given us renewed minds. And he continues to renew our minds. And he's not given us a spirit of fear, but of love, of power, and a sound mind, self-discipline. So let's just bring our lives to God this morning. Now is our opportunity. Now is our time. Oh Lord, Holy Spirit, as you move through this place, as you move through our lives, do your holy work. We all have wounds, we all have a pool of tears. And no matter what we do to try to get away from it, we find ourselves back there over and over again. Because we've not applied the truth. We've not surrendered to you who is truth. And we've not applied you and your word to our lives. We could be young, we could be old. But today's the day where we can address these things and begin a new journey with you. We can leave those burdens at your feet. We can see them for what they are. And we can take your yoke upon us, which is easy, and your burden is light. Oh, we need that, Lord. We need you. Jesus, we need you. Do your holy work amongst us and within us.